It, it really is something when you stop and think about all that moms do, isn't it? Um, it's, it's, it's not a job that anybody in the real world would ever take, but it's not a job that I know of any mom that would give up. As a matter of fact, if, if you have a mom that is into smartphones and has that kind of technology, I would not be offended at all if you texted her right now and said, thanks. It'd be funny if you texted your mom who's in the service right now, and all of a sudden phones were like, bleep, 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 you know, going off. It'd be crazy. Um, uh, one thing we know for sure, moms are, are worth more than we could ever pay. Um, salary.com. Every year, salary.com does this survey of 15,000 moms, right? And they ask them this question, in the home, what do you do the most of, and how much time do you devote to it? And they kind of take that information. They compare it to um, comparable jobs in the workforce, and, and then they, like, what that person would be paid, and how much that would that mom would earn for the amount of time she did it. And so they always did they come up with these, these figures, right? And so here's what they found. Um, and I think it's so funny when, it's so cute, when, when salary.com says, like, here's what a working mom earns and here's what a stay-at-home mom earns. <laughs> right, like stay-at-home moms aren't working moms. Whatever, um, probably work harder. So here's what they found. If you work outside the home, if you, mom, if you have a job outside the home, then what they found is in the home, you spend 52 additional hours a week just doing jobs for your family, and that in the workforce, that would make you $90,000 on top of what you're, you're like, dang, honey, start paying me, right? Now, if, if you are, if, let's not say you got working moms outside the home. If you're a working mom in the home, like you're a stay-at-home mom, and all you do is, is take care of your family, you, you actually give 92 hours a week to that position, Salary.com found that you would be making $143,000 a year. I don't know, guys. I mean, that makes me want to clap for moms, doesn't it? That's crazy, the amount of work that they do. So when I was thinking about um, the, the title of this morning's message, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. When I was thinking about this title, it's like how to perfect the heart of service. Like I don't know if there's any group of people on the face of the planet that perfect the heart of service maybe more than moms do on the planet more than moms but the truth of the matter is moms as great as they are and and you are really good moms I don't want you to rush the stage and hurt me you're not the best example of service Philippians chapter 2 Paul introduces us to the best example of service. I want to read to you the first four verses. I want to make sure you understand the context. Paul's writing to the church of Philippi, and and here's what he says. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Now, I know that I just read four if statements, right? And I'm not um, not a teacher, so bear with me. Sometimes we use if statements like, if this happens, but it's really not happening because it's really not true. But these if statements, what he's saying is, dude, you have these things. Not if you have them. You have them. You have all these. You have encouragement. You have comfort. You have fellowship. You have tenderness. You have compassion. And he's saying, because you have these things, if you have these things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I need you to understand the people that heard that the first time, because you know how the, the Bible was written. Like, Paul wrote letters to churches, and he wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, and if somebody was standing up in the church of Philippi, like I am right now, and they read the letter, like, hey, we got a letter from Paul, and they read it. 
And so I'm reading this to you. We're, you know, in 2016, but when the first hearers heard it, this, this, is, this is the context, okay, that they were in. They're in a city called Philippi. What you need to know is this. They did not hear it thinking of someone that they aren't like and feeling guilty for not knowing them better, okay? Um, kind of how we are. Like we talk about having the same mind, loving one another, and typically we start to we think, wait a second, like, I should probably get to know my neighbor better, right? That's kind of how we think. I should get to know somebody who doesn't look like me a little bit better. But in this context, when this was read, these were people that were in the same room who did not look like each other, who didn't even necessarily like each other before and were then challenged by these words to love each other better. Now, I'm not going to go into all the background, but Acts chapter 16, if you go to Acts chapter 16 sometime this week and read it, you'll read about three people that Jesus changed, the gospel changed in the city of Philippi. One was a wealthy businesswoman, had tons of money. One was a demon-possessed slave girl, and one was a tattooed, probably a tattooed brute of a prison guard. Those are three very different people. Agreed? They were sitting in the service where this was read the first time. So more than likely, this formerly demon-possessed slave girl sitting next to a wealthy businesswoman, and they're looking at a tattooed prison guard, and they all know, man, we're nothing alike. And Paul's saying this. Now think about this. If you have any of these things, if Jesus has done anything in your life, and now if you were, I don't know if we have this testimony here, but if you were a formerly demon-possessed slave girl, and you heard those if statements, wouldn't you be like, whoa, 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 time out. I'm formerly demon-possessed. I think Jesus has done a work in my life. Would you agree? He'd done a major work in her life. And so they're hearing for the first time, Paul's written this letter saying, didn't make my joy complete, which means this, something's missing. With all the amazing things that God had done in those three lives and other lives in the church just like them, something was missing. And in that context, Paul says, make my joy complete. And that's when Paul pointed to the greatest servant this world has ever known. Um, Listen, bar none, no apologies to the moms in the room. I had the best mom in the world. Okay? Best mom. She was amazing. My kids now have the best mom in the world. You could say the same. But the, the, the hero, the person that Jesus points to as the greatest example of a servant the world's ever known was greater than my mom, was greater than your mom, was greater than the mom that single-handedly saves a soccer team's bake sale, right? His name's Jesus. He points to Jesus, and he shares these words about Jesus, verse 5 through 11. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in, the very, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So I want to do this. I think Paul drops four game-changing truths right there, okay? So I'm going to give you the same four truths. I'm going to use my words, not necessarily the words that he used, okay? So here's four truths. you got note sheets. You can fill the blanks in. If you're one of those people that likes to guess the blanks, go ahead. You'll be wrong. Give it a shot, okay? So let's just talk through these, these four game-changing truths. Uh, Most of us in the room are doers, right? 
We like to get things done. And you know why we like to get things done? Because it makes us feel like we got something done. Most of us, in fact, get in trouble because we do even before we think. Have you ever done that? I just did it. I thought about it later. Yeah, while you're paying the consequences for it, you thought about it later. Like, I did it, and then I thought, maybe I shouldn't have done that, right? We're doers, man. We like to do stuff. Just jump in and start getting it done. But I love what Paul says, verse 5, very first thing he says. Now, he's talking about, look, you need to make my joy complete. And then he points to Jesus as the example. And here's how he starts. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. So here's, here's truth number one. Serving is an attitude before it's an action. It's an attitude before it's an action. So much of the faith is about attitude. So much of, of following Jesus is about um, sinking. You ever, anybody got Bluetooth in your car? I finally have a car with Bluetooth, and I love it until it won't sync with my phone. I'm like, sync, sync, sync. It's like, no Bluetooth device. I'm like, are you kidding me? It takes forever sometimes. When it doesn't sync, it's frustrating. You know, the Christian life is so much about syncing our minds with the truth of God. Having the same attitude that Jesus had. Paul talks about thoughts a lot. He wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2.16, and he said this. This probably blew their mind. It's like, we actually as believers have the mind of Christ. I know you don't feel like you have the mind of Christ, and you're probably thinking about your spouse or your best friends like they don't think like they have the mind of Christ. But he said, we have the mind of Christ. So you're in the Corinthian church, right? You hear these words, and you're like, wow, that's that's cool. I've, I've got the mind of Christ. And then the next letter that Paul sends... 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says this, And because you have the mind of Christ, you've got to take captive every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus. Now, just take those two verses and put them on the backdrop of Philippians chapter 2. What do we know about Jesus? He served. He served. Listen, before you and I came to Christ, we had an attitude. You know what it was? How can you serve me? But Jesus came with a different attitude. He said, how can I serve you? And Paul's saying, like, you're, serving's an attitude before it's an action. You've got to stop and think, is this my attitude? Is my attitude to serve others? So Paul, in, in the way that only Paul can, basically says to the Philippian church, like, everything you're going to hear from this point forward is just an attitude adjustment. That's fun, right? To adjust our attitude. You get to adjust your attitude. Serving is an attitude before it's an action. So uh, here's number two. It says, being in very nature God, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Serving doesn't change who we are. It reveals who we are. Now this is going to be a tough one to grasp, right? Because this is kind of backwards from how we do it. Serving doesn't change who we are. It reveals who we are. What that means is Jesus was God. We know that. It's very clear. He was equal with God. Jesus was God. And, and he came to earth not, well, God's like, you know, Jesus, uh, you got some problems in your life, and I need you to go serve the world so that you can get fixed. Right? That's not what God, no. He came to serve the world. Why? Because he was already a servant. It was who he was. He served because that's who he was. You know, in, in church, and maybe do this in, in your job, but probably not because you fire the people if you did it in your job. Church is sometimes the worst place. 
at taking people who don't have a character of service and putting them in positions of service and hoping it fixes them. But it just reveals who they are, doesn't it? When there's an opportunity to serve and we don't serve, that reveals who we are. It should not be surprising when we take people who aren't thinking about Jesus, aren't serving, and we put them in a position to serve, and we find out that they don't show up, that they are not reliable, that they aren't really into it. Because serving, the opportunity to serve, has revealed who they really are. Think about this statement. I'll say it a couple times just to make sure you get it. People will never become what they aren't by convincing them to do more of what they weren't. People will never become more of what they aren't by convincing them to do more of what they weren't. You aren't really reliable. So, hey, come do this. It really, you got to be on time. Like, get, do a lot of this. Keep serving. Do all this, all this, all this. Like, if they're not, they weren't before, and if they do this, they're not going to be any more after. Serving doesn't, it doesn't change who we are. It reveals who we are. When we have the opportunity to serve, and if we say no to that, that's an issue we have to deal with, with God. Look what Jesus did in verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, so Jesus humbles himself, right? He becomes obedient. A, a life of servanthood is an obedient response to the heart of the Father before it's anything else. This is number three. Serving is an act of obedience to God, not an act of obligation to men. It's an act of obedience to God. And, and we're going to unpack the word obedience, right? Because typically, um, as parents, when we think of obedience, we flash back to when we were kids. Um, and our, our parents are like, you better obey, right? Not that y'all have ever had parents say that to you. I'm just, you know, hypothetically just making this up, right? You better obey. I didn't ask you to think. Just do it. And now this doesn't happen anymore, but back in my day, if I didn't immediately start to do that, um, belt buckles started to become undone, right? And there was something about me going, uh-uh, and hearing the, I was like, yes, sir, uh-huh, I'll do what you need, right? That's kind of how we picture obedience. Like, it's this awful thing that we have to make people do. But that's not what obedience is at all. Obedience is an act of worship, Obedience is just simply saying this, like, God, you are so much greater than I am, and I trust you. I trust you, and I'll, and I'll obey you. We treat service like it's an obligation. What I do want you to know is this. Sometimes choosing to align our lives with God's will isn't always easy. And I know this for a fact because Luke chapter 22, verse 42 shows us that Jesus, you know Jesus, right? He struggled with this. Jesus was praying. Before he went to the cross, and Jesus said to God, if there's any other way, I'm open to suggestions. But not my will be done, yours be done. So, so let's just stop there, and let's just ask this question. So, Paul, is what you're saying that Jesus didn't really enjoy the cross? Well, I'm not sure he enjoyed the physical torture of the cross, any more than you or I would have. But you know what I learned in Hebrews 12 too? It said that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. For the joy 
set before him. Jesus endured the cross, which means this. When we obey God, when we serve out of obedience, there's joy on the other side of that. Jesus found that. There's joy on the other side of serving. So let me give you a statement, and I'll give you a scripture to back it up. Serving out of obligation drains us, but serving out of obedience sustains us. Serving out of obligation drains us. God, don't you know that's true? You're thinking about your job right now. Like, this is why somewhere halfway through Sunday, people start going, oh, God, tomorrow's Monday. Because work sometimes is serving out of obligation, right? Well, you, you better do that or I won't pay you. That's obligation. But serving out of obedience sustains us. Here's how I know. Um, how many of you were here a couple weeks ago when we um, washed all the dirty feet? Raise your hand. Yeah, so that was weird. Um, if you've never been a part of a church that, where the, like, the leaders washed the, the feet of the church, then you were kind of sitting there going, this is really weird. And I have a foot thing, and I don't want anybody to touch him, right? So, um, but if you go back to John 13, that's, that's the passage in Scripture where Jesus served his disciples by washing their feet. Okay, you still with me? Yes? Shake your head like this. You're still thinking about the proposal, and I get it totally. She said yes. Yes. Fantastic. <laughs> So, so she asked, somebody asked me, how do, you, how do you preach after that? Apparently not very well. So, um, <laughs> but we're going to get through it, right? We're going to get through it. So, so in John 13, Jesus is, you know, he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's sharing the Last Supper with his disciples. And that's when he took the towel, and he took the basin. And Jesus, everybody say Jesus. That Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Okay, and just just to make sure that we wouldn't read about that and go, well, that was nice of Jesus to do that. And that was like something he probably should have done. Jesus said this after he was done. He said, I have given you an example that you should follow, which is why we did it two weeks ago. But, but the key verse is John 13, 17. And, and I, I love how Jesus said this, okay? So just think, it's not an act of obligation to man. It's an act of obedience to God. There's joy in our serving, right? We know that from Jesus. He served all the way to the cross, and there was joy in him for that. And John 13, 17, Jesus looks at his disciples who, who at this point are like looking at each other like, I can't believe this dude just washed my feet. And Jesus said, now you know these things. Blessed are you if you do them. You're not blessed because you know it. We know lots of stuff. So, in fact, um, Wendy, my wife, we almost came to blows this week. <laughs> that never happens in your marriage. Um, because I made this statement while I was kind of like fake preaching it to her, practice preaching it to her. And I made this statement. I'm not sure we need to know any more. And she went, <gasps> What? I don't, I don't know if we need to know anymore. I think maybe we should just be obedient to what we already know. We may know enough. Now, Wendy, because I know her, her reaction was, what, like, we shouldn't learn anymore about the Bible? No, absolutely we should. But we should just do what we know. Jesus said, you know these things. That's Good, but you'll be blessed if you do them. Sometimes we, we feel like we're being drained because we're not doing anything. And maybe it's time to get off the bleachers and get onto the field and start to serve, right? 
maybe in the church, maybe at your workplace, maybe in Walmart, probably all those places. Just begin to serve. And something happens when you serve. It begins to sustain us. You're blessed. The word for blessed in that verse means happy, blessed, supremely blessed. I'll take supremely blessed all day long. When I left the church two weeks ago, I was more full than I've been in a long time because we served. That's what happens when you serve. Serving is an act of obedience to God, not an act of obligation to men. Here's the last one. Um, let, me, let me give it to you, and then I'll, I need to explain a word in verse 7. So, serving empties us so that God can exalt Jesus through us. This is my favorite one of all. Serving empties us so that God can exalt Jesus through us. Um, verse 9, because, because Christ did all this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we've got to go back up to verse 7, okay? And I don't know what version you have here. Um, you might have King James, New King James, New American Standard. You might have the message. You, I don't know what you have. You probably got all those on your phone. Um, I've got the NIV. So verse 7, talking about Jesus, says that he made himself nothing. Okay, now if you've got New American Standard or King James, New King James, it might say he emptied himself. Anybody got emptied himself in your version? Okay, one. Great. <laughs> Woohoo! I'm really driving this point home. Um, so Jesus emptied himself when he left heaven and came to earth to serve us. Okay, you got to follow me, right? We're going we're to step into some um, doctrinal stuff. So he left heaven. He emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? He, did he stop being God? No. So he didn't, he didn't go, all right, I'm taking my God stuff off, and I'm just going to be a man now, right? So we, we know that Jesus was fully God, and he was fully man, right? Now, there's a, there's a phrase called a hypostatic union. You can Google that and look it up. That's the theological term for it. He was fully God and fully man, and it should be the kind of thing that makes our heads go, What? But that's what this is about. He didn't stop being God so he could become man. He didn't empty himself of God. So if he didn't empty himself of being God, what did he empty himself of? I know the answer. I'm just asking to build drama, right? <laughs> Stuff. So he emptied himself, and this is gonna, you're going to hate this, okay? Aren't you, aren't you glad you have a preacher like me that warns you when you're going to hate stuff? He emptied himself of his rights as God. Amen, I think. He, he emptied himself of the rights as God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, held on to. He made himself nothing. He emptied himself. And so when we understand the gospel, here's what we understand. That a king, a king served us into a kingdom. And that should make us want to serve others into the kingdom as well. Because when we empty ourselves, the same thing happens in our lives that happened in Jesus' life. Because Jesus emptied himself, what happened? God exalted him to the highest place. This is very anti-American, right? It should be. Because here's how our country is. No, I'm protecting what's mine. I'm protecting what's mine. And, and even, me, even me talking about this, some of your minds have already gone to the extreme. I'm cool with that. You can wrestle that one with Jesus, right? But just think about this for a second. Nothing reveals an impotent God more than his kids saying, well, I'm taking care of me. 
I'm protecting my stuff because if nobody watches out for me, if I don't watch out for me, nobody will. Nobody's got my back all the time serving an omnipotent God. Like if we truly believe that he is powerful, then he's powerful enough to protect us as we lay our lives down in service to other people. Yeah, it's quiet. I knew it would be. I was fully prepared. Check this out. Our minds immediately go to the enemies of the world. Well, I'm not laying my life down in front of them. I'm not going to serve them. They might kill me. I know. It's called the cross. Remember? Jesus laid his life down before his enemies. That's what we're reading about right now. That's what he did. And because he emptied himself, God exalted him to the highest place. It is in laying our rights down in the service of God and others that Jesus is most exalted through us. John 3.30. Just jot it down. John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Less of me leads to more of him. In John 10.10, Jesus made this statement. He said, I've come to give us life and I've come to give us life to the full. He said, I've come to give you abundant life. And sometimes Sometimes it can seem like we're not living that full life, can it? Sometimes it can, it can seem like we're not living this complete life. So Jesus talks about a full life, and Paul's in Philippians 2 saying, like, complete my joy. Like, something's missing. Something needs to complete my joy. And, and I think sometimes you could say that, that an incomplete Christian life looks a lot like, like a bad artist attempt at a Mona Lisa. Can you see that on the screen? Do you see that bad attempt at a Mona Lisa? I think sometimes this is what, this is what our Christian life looks like, isn't it? It kind of resembles something that looks like what it should look like. We see some really weird hair stuff going on, and like it looks like a big dress, but I think those are two big stick figure arms crossed in front of her. And like you just know that might be the Mona Lisa, but what I know for sure is that's not a masterpiece. Am I right? But you know what happens when we begin to serve God and serve others? When we begin to live the li- our lives in response to the gospel, in response to a servant king, we begin to fade away. You see it? We begin to fade away. And the real masterpiece begins to shine through. Almost like when I decrease, he increases. The real color is seen. Less of me means more of Jesus. And what I want you to get is this. It's how we serve each other. That's how we begin to fade away. And Jesus shines through. I've got a big idea for you. Here's how I want, I want you to write it down. When I serve you, Jesus shines through. When I serve you, Jesus shines through. If I don't serve... And this is what Paul's saying. I'm not making this up. We just read it in Philippians 2. If I don't serve, I can have all kinds of stuff in my life. I can know a bunch of stuff, and I can have experienced a bunch of stuff, and I can be an ex-demon-possessed slave girl, a big prison guard, a wealthy businesswoman. We can all be different. But if I don't serve you, it's not complete. And the best I can have at that point is just that stick figure Mona Lisa. But when I lay my life down and serve you, And you lay your life down and serve me. And we lay our lives down and serve a city. We begin to fade. And the real masterpiece shines through. People see less of my stick figure attempts at Christianity. And they see more of the finished work of Jesus 
the real masterpiece that God wants everyone to see. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Listen, verses 9, 10, 11 specifically in this setting are about Jesus. Because Jesus humbled himself and he served. And this is what happened. Because you know when therefore is in a sentence, you got to go, what's it there for, right? It's there because of all that Jesus did and now he's going to be exalted. But let's bring that into our context. When we humble ourselves and serve God, the church, the world, when we do that, we fade and Jesus is seen more in us and verses 9, 10, 11 happen in this life. People see an exalted Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I serve you, Jesus shines through. That sounds like something we should say together, doesn't it? Do we have it up on the screen? Can they see it? Let's see. We'll see how you do. When I serve you, Jesus shines. That was horrible. We can try it again and be better. I know you can. I believe in you. Ready? Here we go. When I serve you, Jesus shines through. Paul says, then make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. Let's pray. God, I thank you for what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that um, he has come to give us life and life to the full. I am not a good artist. I'm a horrible drawer, and I am, I'm a stick figure king. The best I've got, God, at trying to, to copy you would just be a stick figure, and, and that's not what you've called us to. Man, I got, some of us, we're in this room this morning, and we're like, what is missing in my life? I'm trying to follow Jesus. What's missing in my life? And God, there is what Paul's saying is like, make my joy complete by, by giving yourself away in service to one another. To people that we actually see, actually know. People that are actually sitting in this church with us today. Give our lives away in service to them. It's amazing, God. I can't wait to see how when we give ourselves in service You will be exalted, and you will be glorified. You will be able to shine through, and we will be full and complete and look more like Jesus because of that. Just before we wrap this up, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to ask you this question. Nothing highlights how selfish life can be apart from the gospel than reading scripture about how Jesus served. So it's possible that you're here this morning and just hearing what Jesus did on the cross, you're like, man, I've never heard that. I've never even thought about following a king like that. But Jesus came to serve you into his kingdom. That's why he came. He came to serve us into his kingdom. He didn't come to be, to be served. He came to serve. And this morning, man, I want to give you the chance to respond to that. If you're here, you say, I've never, I've never chosen to follow Jesus, but this morning I'm hearing this and I want to follow a king like that. I just want you to put your hand up real quick and put it right back down. If you're here, that's you. I'd love to pray with you this morning. I'd love to pray with, with believers in the room, and today you're challenged to serve. This is not a call to get you to fill up on fill serving teams at the gathering. 
That's back to the obligation thing. This is a call for you to fall in love with the servant king who saved you. The serving will take care of itself. So you're here this morning, you're challenged. Like, I, I, I need, I want the full picture. I resonate with a stick figure, but I want him to shine through, and I want to give myself away. And, and you're here, and you just want to repent of that. Just put your hand up and say, that's me. I, need, I want to serve more. Thank you so much. Anybody else in the room? That's me. I want to serve more. I just want to start by saying to God, forgive me. Thank you. All right, let's pray. God, we just take these responses. We give them to you. God, I thank you that you are always working in our lives um, to serve. I thank you for the examples that we have in this life. Um, I think of of moms again. I I can picture my mom um, sitting next to me late at night typing a research paper because I couldn't type well and didn't tell her to the last minute. And she served God. I treated her wrongly and she served. I can see my mom sitting at at a sewing machine in the wee hours of the morning, sewing dresses for my sisters, she served. And, and I'm not dealing with, with mom stories like that. We've all got those stories. But God, the truth of the matter is, as great as our moms are and were, they were only a picture of Jesus. And I know, I know from my mom, God, that's all she wanted to do was just show the servant heart of Jesus. And so this morning, God, just on a day when our country honors moms, we want to honor you. Say thank you for serving us. Thank you that, that you gave us that example and that when we kind of, we serve, you shine through. And we're so thankful for it, God. I pray for these that raise their hands as they just, you know, repenting to you. Kind of, I, I've not been serving like I should. I've, not, I've forgotten why I serve. I haven't fallen in love with a servant king like I want to. I just pray you'd move on their hearts right now, God, and that you would draw them back to you. I thank you for the encouragement that comes from knowing that we serve a king like Jesus. I pray you'd fill our hearts here at the gathering, that we would be known in this city as a church who serves. In your name, Lord, amen.